Welcome to All Fired Up. I'm Louise, your host, and this is the podcast where we talk all things anti-diet. Has diet culture got you in a fit of rage? Is the injustice of the beauty ideal getting your knickers in a twist? Does Fitspo make you want a Spitspo? Are you ready to hurl if you hear one more weight loss tip? Are you ready to be mad, loud, and proud? Well, you've come to the right place. Let's get all fired up. Hello, anti-dieters everywhere and diet culture critics. It's so wonderful to be able to connect with you. And I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone for bearing with me during 2020, which was bloody hard work, (laughs) as I'm sure it is for a lot of us at the moment. But I have made a promise to you that this year, the podcast will be much more uh, regular. I have so much good stuff coming your way that I'm, I'm just super excited. And I really appreciate your loyalty in sticking with All Fired Up and believing in the message. And of course, if you love All Fired Up, please don't forget to subscribe uh, so you don't miss the episodes when they pop out roughly monthly and if you are feeling uber generous rate and review us give us a five star rating if you can because my god it seems like everyone and their dog has a podcast at the moment that I just don't have enough ears to listen to all of the information so I really do appreciate your return to this podcast and and the, um, the love that you keep sending me and of course, email me. Let me know if anything is really hitting your rageometer in terms of diet culture bullshit. Let me know about it. You know, I'm always hungry for some diet culture bullshit. It is Louise at untrapped.com.au. Send me a message. Send me some rage. Send me an opinion. Send me some bullshit, and we'll see if we can dissect it here on All Fired Up. Now, I always kick off the show with some free stuff, and I usually talk about the free ebook, Everything You've Been Told About Weight Loss is Bullshit, which is an awesome uh, myth busting book that I wrote with Fiona Willer. And I still am going to send you there if you want some free stuff, untrapped.com.au. Up will pop an awesome ebook which busts the top 10 myths floating around diet culture about weight loss and health and all of that. It is fabulous. And it's a resource that I really want to get out there to as many humans as possible. So please download and share as much as you can. But I have some new free stuff to kick off the year. How awesome is this? I'm very excited. This used to be something that was not free and I'm able to make it free this year. And I'm just so happy because we are in January. We know what January means. No matter where you are on the planet, here in Australia, it's bloody hot. And so everyone's talking beach bodies and selling weight loss products because it's hot. And I'm so aware that that happens in cold places too around the planet. January, new year, new year, blah, 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 blah. Change your body. Give me your money. Love diet culture. It's all bullshit. But we also know it's really hard to uh, traverse this and navigate through the month of January. So I'm really happy to direct you to somewhere where there is a, a free kind of beacon of sanity in this ocean of bullshit. So it's my e-course. So it's a 10-day e-course. It's called Befriending Your Body. And I love this little e-course. It's actually, I drew from um, material in our Untrapped online course and turned it into a mini course called Befriending Your Body. So what happens if you sign up for this course every day for 10 days, you'll get a little love letter from me in your inbox 
And every day it takes you through the principles of self-compassion and a meditation on self-compassion, all designed to help you protect and befriend this amazing body of yours. So if you are struggling because of diet culture bullshit, or if you're just interested in this whole idea of self-compassion and how it might be able to help you come home to your body, then why not give it a whirl? It's free. Why not? Where can you find this awesome 10-day free e-course? You can go to Instagram, which is untrapped underscore AU. And if you click on the link, you will find the Befriending Your Body e-course. And you just click and it will pop into your inbox and it's all free. And please share this widely with family and friends and just anyone who comes across your path because there's so much bullshit in January. We need a like an antidote <laughs> to diet culture stuff and it's, it's just really lovely. As you know, anyone who listens regularly, I'm a huge fan of self-compassion and how it can just supercharge your resistance to diet culture. So go and find it and enjoy. I hope you really love it um, as much as I enjoyed making it. Now, of course, uh, speaking about online courses, this whole podcast is brought to you by Untrapped, which is our online anti-diet community and material. So Untrapped is something that I co-created with 11 other health professionals, including someone we're talking with today. And it's so comprehensive. Like There's a lot of information in Untrapped, but it will come out to you um, for 12 weeks and you can keep it forever. So it's material that you can go through at your own pace. And the cool thing about releasing the Befriending Your Body e-course is that if you do that first, you will have done the self-compassion component and then you can kind of join Untrapped to get the more comprehensive info, having already built your foundation of self-compassion. How awesome is that? Untrapped is this amazing community that's really really taken root during 2020 and the COVID crisis. We are now doing weekly Q&As. So every Saturday I come online and we chat with everyone in Untrapped and we talk about what's going on and we support each other and we love each other and we get mad and we cry and it's just awesome. So if you're looking for an online program that's more than an online program, like it's not just automated material, this Untrapped is also our Q&As and our community and Often, you know, it's so lovely because members are now meeting up outside the world of the internet, like in real life and designing projects and doing all kinds of really cool things, which it was always something I wanted to happen from creating Untrapped. So it really is lovely and we would love to have you join us. And I'm so super excited to announce that from now on, I've pretty much drastically reduced the price of Untrapped. It used to uh, sell at $5.70 Australian dollars and I've reduced it. So from now on, forever, the price will be reduced to 300 Australian dollars. And that's for material that you can keep forever, for the weekly Q&As, for all of the awesomeness that spills forth from this amazing community of awesome people. So if you've had a gutful of um, dining and January and diet culture in general, and you're looking for something totally different, come and join us at Untrapped, untrapped.com.au. We would love to meet you. I'm feeling super excited to talk about my guest for today's podcast, and it's just an awesome way to kick off a new year, much better than any diet. I have had the pleasure of knowing 
Dr. Lindo Bacon for several years now and I just really value them so much and I'm sure you've all heard of Lindo Bacon. They uh, wrote the Health at Every Size book which is often kind of credited with starting the Health at Every Size movement which as they'll talk about in just a moment they did not but certainly this book popularized or, or got the message across in a really beautiful way to read the research community as well as like the wider community. Dr. Bacon has a PhD in physiology, a graduate degree in psychology and exercise metabolism. So there is this wealth of academic experience and research experience. Lindo has done randomized controlled trials on health at every size approaches, like directly head to head with weight loss approaches and sort of found that Hayes is just shitting all over it, to put it mildly. So really has done a lot of research in this area, a lot of speaking, a lot of awareness raising. Lindo lives and breathes social justice. And, you know, there's just this incredible breadth of awareness of the human condition that is just astonishing. Lindo's second book was Body Respect, which they co-wrote with Lucy Aframore. And that really highlights the social justice aspect of our relationship with our bodies. And again, just such an important book. Lindo also has lived experience as someone who has experienced an eating disorder. And also their most recent book, which is Radical Belonging, How to Survive and Thrive in an Unjust World Whilst Transforming It for the Better. What a cool title. In this book, Through the Power of All of the Stories, alongside the science, Lindo introduces themselves as genderqueer. That has been their identity for many years in their community, but this is the first time in the book that this has really been discussed and brought out and it's mind-blowing. This book is sort of everything. It, <laughs> I'm just going to gush unashamedly for a bit, but please read it. It's for sale everywhere and I think in a couple of weeks in Australia, so mid-February in Australia, it will come out as an audible, which is really fantastic if, like me, you're finding it difficult to read books at the moment. So, look, I cannot stress enough how much Lindo Bacon has done for the health at every size community and as a human this is an amazing human being as well and someone I'm proud to call my friend as well as a colleague and Lindo is one of the first guides that you meet when you join Untrapped. We have had the most incredible conversation about their new book and everything that's firing Lindo up about, you know, the stuff that we're just missing. And as we've kind of endured 2020 and we continue to endure like just raging injustice as well as this horrendous virus, the need for belonging is highlighted in a way that maybe hasn't been for many years. And look, this conversation with Lindo was everything. I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did and please make sure you read their book. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Lindo. Welcome. 
Oh, I've always wanted to do this, Louise. It's always such a pleasure to hang out with you. So I, don't, I can't believe we haven't done this sooner. I can't believe it either, but I'm super excited that we're talking about your new book as like the reason to have you here. But I'm just, I've got so much to say and talk about, but it's just, it is so awesome to get to chat to you. But, you know, before we kick off, it's been like over four years since, because we, we hung out in like live in when I came in 2016 which was just before Trump got elected oh is that the timing yeah yeah (laughs) and now I'm talking to you just a couple of days after that whole period's ended and we've got a new president isn't that weird it is I remember just relaxing in a hot tub with you (laughs) Napa Valley which is wine country in California (sighs) uh, talking about the election I know, I know, right? What a wild memory now, thinking of um, the fact that I can't even get on a plane. (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right, so present tense, what what are we talking about today? Oh, okay, so yes, I want to know what is firing you up at the moment. Uh, What's firing me up? Well, you know, lately I've been listening to all this body positivity, and what's getting me is that everybody is pretty, preaching this self-love message and self-love yeah it's a gorgeous thing and I wish it for everybody but there's this idea that that's what's going to save us and that we have to do all the internal work on ourselves and it makes the whole body liberation journey very individual and that's Mm -hmm. not what it's about because we can love ourselves fully and completely and then we walk into a world where people tell us there's something wrong with us, whether it's that we're too fat or whether we're denied opportunity because of our skin color. So I want to make sure that people know that as beautiful as self-love is, it's not enough to save us. We also have to be working on social change because we're individuals in a context. And if we forget the context, then we end up blaming ourselves when we can't love ourselves. And then it becomes problematic. But it's hard to love ourselves in a culture that doesn't support us. Absolutely. So that's what's on my mind right now. Oh, yeah, this is so absolutely necessary. And this is very much your book. And <laughs> Wait, can I interrupt you? Like a very funny thing. I was very proud to see that Radical Belonging, my book, is selling well. And it's jumped up on Amazon's bestseller list. Really? But- yeah, it's near the top of the best the bestseller list. But here's the funny thing. It's the self-help bestseller list. Ah. And I explicitly have a chapter in there that's I know. titled something like, why self-help is not enough. <laughs> you know, I'm really just <laughs> trying to get away from that. But it makes me laugh. I'll take it. You know, I'm glad the book is getting around. And I'm glad that it's getting around to people who are interested in self-help so that it helps them to expand their horizons a bit. It helps them to hopefully abandon self-help and start changing the world. (laughs) Oh, wow. You have led like this whole, I wouldn't say body positivity. I'd talk about health at every size, haze. You've done three books. You've done health at every size, which a lot of people refer to as like one of the original textbooks of, of Hayes. And then you did Body Respect, which was co-authored with Lucy Aframor and, and then Radical Belongings, your third book. And, you know, like all of us, it's it's such a process 
this Hayes perspective. And I'm interested to ask you, like, how things have changed for you since you first wrote Hayes up until now. That's a big question. It is. And I'll keep it short because there's a short and easy narrative, I think, that ties the three of the books. And that's that. Well, first off, you didn't imply this, but I want to just announce it for the audience because there's a big misunderstanding that people tend to think that I started the Health at Every Size movement, and I did not. Health at Every Size was around long before I had ever entered the scene. And my book, I think, helped to popularize it quite a bit. And so that's probably why I got that reputation. Anyway, that first Health at Every Size book, well, back at it, I'm I'm still very proud of it. I think it's an important book. And I, I get a lot of feedback that it's changed people's lives and it's given professionals a totally new framework for approaching weight. So I am still proud of it. But in retrospect, what I see is that it was very much of a self-help book. Mm-hmm. And it really put the emphasis on individual change. Yeah. And all that stuff is valuable, but there are also a lot of limitations to it. I mean, one is that means it's a very privileged book because there are a lot of people that just don't have access to being able to eat nutritiously and eat the foods that they want when they want. You know, they might have a job that doesn't give them food breaks except during prescribed times. And so they can't really respond to body cues or they've got to learn how to make adjustments to that. Or, you know, they, they might be living in poverty and have difficulty taking mm-hmm. care of themselves in that way. So anyway, there's a lot of class privilege that's involved in being able to make individual choices. And another problem is that what we know is that stuff doesn't even play that huge of a role in our health anyway. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to deny that eating and exercise do play some role in our health. They do. But much of the research shows that all of our health behaviors combined probably only play 25% of the role in our health. And that's mind blowing. It is. And the really big thing about your health is about how you're treated in the world. Yeah. You know, what we call the social determinants of health. So I regret in some ways that I wrote a book that was so catered to privileged people without knowing it Mm. and put the emphasis on things. Well, I mean, yes, it is helpful for people to learn the skills and strategies of self-help if they can, but not to put that stuff in context also means that there'll be a lot of self-blame when people don't get all the health results that they're hoping for. Yeah, yeah. So if you can't do it, then that's your fault. Yeah, and if you yeah. don't, if you don't get the result, it's yeah. Your if your health's not improving, then you must be doing something wrong. Yeah, I mean, if you still have diabetes after changing your diet and mm-hmm. exercising, you're doing something wrong. Or even if you get you have diabetes and you're not eating so nutritious, mm-hmm. right? I still don't think there should be self blame. Yeah, but anyway. That's why I was really happy to have opportunity to kind of approach it again. And the second time I came up with the Aftermore and we made all those connections and we started talking about the interplay between the social determinants of health, things like racism and sexism and ableism Mm -hmm. and how they intersect with our health and our 
opportunities to change our life. Yeah, that was an incredible book and an incredible change in emphasis from the first, because I I came to your training in Seattle. For, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. That was like the first time we met. The sure. first time we met. And it was like five days of, of diving into all of that, the um, social determinants of health and thinking about oppression and thinking about stuff I had never thought about. And when I came home from that trip, I had an online program at the time, like a, to help people based on Hayes principles. And when I came home from that trip, I literally took the whole thing down and shredded it and did it again <laughs> and came up with Untrapped, with, which was a co-work with all of the other people who helped because of that, that shift in emphasis. And it was mind-blowing and just yeah. phenomenal. And it's amazing too how it resonates so much with people because basically you're telling them like your story matters, like who Mm. who you are plays a role in why you, like your history, what's happened to you plays a huge role in your attitudes towards exercise, your attitudes towards your body and how you're treated in the world is just so, so important. And yeah, and it, once people start to see that they're seen, yeah, it it opens up possibilities for them to come up with an individualized approach to how they want to live their life. Yeah. Right. Rather than following somebody else's rules. Yeah. And it also sort of opens the door for social justice and really taking seriously things like inequity and oppression and trauma. And here in Australia, our Aboriginal population have diabetes rates that are much much higher than the white population and of course (laughs) the weight science researchers love to talk about that's because of the size of our aboriginal population we need to kind of make everyone lose weight everything's going to go away it'll be magic and it's just such bullshit to think of things Right. Well, that's the first thing they say is they blame it on weight. And then the second thing they tell people to do is to diet and exercise. Even that has been shown to have limited effect on changing diabetes outcome. Yeah. You know, what the real research is showing is that provide people with more opportunity so that they have higher paying jobs, so they're not so stressed out, treat them better, stop oppression and that's how we make a dent in diabetes yeah right so what a huge realization that maybe the solution here isn't with individual behavior but it's social change right yeah which again is not to suggest that individual behavior change doesn't do anything it does but to change the emphasis a little bit Mm -hmm. helps to give people like more agency in the world yeah yeah and more respect yeah yeah, which was the name of the book, Body Respect. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so it was really fun to have an opportunity to write that book with Lucy Affermore. And and that book was meant to be short and uh-huh. to the point, right? Like very concise so people could really see the arguments clearly. And we didn't do nearly as much storytelling as I did in my first book. So this was a very different book. You know, it was meant to really sell to people this idea of what we called in the book health at every size. I think there's still some debate as to whether that's what 
people were calling health at every size at the time or whether that was just ideas that we wanted to be health at every size. Oh, interesting. But anyway, so I'm not so sure about that. But regardless, um, the book to me was a really important transition. And much of what's in the book, believe it or not, I'm still like very much behind. You know, I yeah. think it really it's last maybe, what is it, four or five years since I, since we published it. I think we've grown into the ideas in body respect more. Yes. Yeah. So, As a Hayes community, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And then the progression, as far as the third book goes, there's very little emphasis on, like, I, I don't use the term health at every size very often. Yeah, I've noticed. And in part, that's because I think it's in, like, there's so many other people right now that are helping to define and grow health at every size. And I want to step back a little bit and let other people, or not let, but mm. so that other people can emerge and there can be wider perspective. Yeah. And I also don't feel like I want to be responsible for a movement. Yeah. Like I'd rather just talk about what's important and not be so closely assigned responsibility around yeah. something that is so much bigger than me and and not me yeah but, yeah there's there's so many voices and so many people and so many perspectives that need to be heard right and so health at every size is the community idea so anyway and I'm also not so interested in physical health as much. Interesting. Like, like, yeah, I think it's important, but it's not my focus. My focus is more about love and community. And that's really, maybe I should have said that in terms of what's firing me up. Yeah. It, I just feel like we're recognizing more than ever how much we need each other. And mm. that's what I want to do is I want to forge those bonds. And I find that the more I connect with my vulnerability and expose myself in the world, the more I get seen by everyone and I can find the, my pockets where I get respected and valued. And that's what feeds me is mm -hmm. having that kind of supportive community. And it's not just that I get seen, but the richness of seeing other people too in yeah. all their uniqueness and all of their states of health. <laughs> yeah. 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 So belonging seems to be the the thing that's captured me more and why I wrote about that in my last book. Yeah, belonging. And it's such a beautiful word. It is. What, what does it mean to you? What does belonging mean? Well, belonging to me is about that unconditional love. Like it means that I can expose the stuff that I might not be so proud of myself, and yet I'm still loved and valued and seen and appreciated, and people will sit with me through that, right? Mm -hmm. And that gives me opportunity to make change if, or, or, or not. But that's a very different idea than what our culture offers up to people. Like it says it kind of sets normal standards and yeah. it tells you you belong if you match up with that. So if you're thin enough, for example, you belong. Yeah. With cisgender, you belong. 
and so many people feel like they don't have the same opportunity or ability to be appreciated in the world. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of like uh, diet culture would say there's conditional belonging. Right, right. And you're saying radical belonging. We all belong. Right. Radical. We don't have to, we don't know radical. Yeah, meaning like we don't need to fit into boxes. Right. So it's two things there. So it's about not needing to fit into boxes. So what that means is we take on social justice issues because we have to value everybody in this world, yeah. right? And then the second thing is just recognizing that humans are vulnerable. We get scared. We make mistakes. And inviting all of that art, that humanity into the picture too. Yeah. Yeah. Welcoming that. Yeah. It is. It's so, it's so beautiful. This book is so beautiful. It's just, yeah, it sort of fills you up. <laughs> and yeah, I, I'm interested, like what led you to write Radical Belonging? When I started writing it, it wasn't because I had this idea in mind of a book I wanted to get out. In fact, it actually started just as a personal journal. And at first I was basically just writing my gender identity. And looking at the obstacles over the years, how I overcame them. And I'd say that that first writing was something that was very painful. And it certainly wasn't something that I really wanted to expose to the world because it was all about my pain. Yeah. And when I looked, about, looked at it, I also realized that I've also developed so much resilience over the years. That the stuff that I got shamed for when I was a kid, my parents hated that I liked to wear clothes that were meant for boys and they wanted mm. me to wear dresses. And when I wore dresses, I always felt like I was just doing drag. Yeah. Right? And my parents really shamed me for that. Like, like saw it as something that was very wrong and never could I go out in public, you know, dress the way I wanted to dress. And, oh, that's and, awful. Right. And I also realized that I got through all that stuff, you know, and maybe I like, sure, I had to develop an eating disorder to figure out how, to, you know, like food got me through some of those difficult times, right? But, but that's a coping strategy, right? It did get you through. Exactly, right. And so I was able to kind of rewrite the book and look at, you know, like how I saved myself and not just through the eating disorder, but then how I learned other skills to kind of manage discomfort so I no longer needed the eating disorder or mm -hmm. the substance abuse that I also went through when I was younger. And recognizing that I had developed so many skills to kind of transform the challenges that I was mm -hmm. given. And then I went back and I looked at the book and was able to look at it through my scientific lens to recognize that, hey, there's a biological reason why I was reaching for food. And I could recognize the way that trauma kind of lodges in your mm -hmm. body or in my body. Yeah. You know, and how that participated in a distrust of other people and a hypervigilance that I kind of carried with me in yeah. adulthood. And Kind of that's, a, that's the legacy of trauma is that hypervigilance. Right. That fracturing you know, and, of trust. Yeah. And the inability to kind of sit with discomfort. So I could kind of put the science to it and show 
why, how trauma played out physically in my body and resulted in a lot of behaviors. And then I could also look at the part two to that, like how I developed strategies that kind of rewired my brain so that I got better at tolerating things and didn't have to jump to coping behaviors. And I could fill in all of the science for what you can do to kind of save yourself. Yeah, that's what I love about the title. It's how to survive and thrive in an unjust world. So not just survival. Yeah. Right. And come out happy and having fun. (laughs) And yeah, you have difficult times too, but you learn how to just accept them and get through them. Yeah. Resilience is a remarkable thing. Humans are like, we're pretty tough. We can be, but you can always keep getting better at it. Yeah. And that's what this book is all about. It's like how to do that. And then the big recognition that I had through all of that is one of the reasons why we develop all of the coping challenges is because we really want to be loved and appreciated by other people. And when we get rejected, it it hurt. And so it makes sense that we develop an inauthentic self to kind of protect ourselves in the world. It makes sense that we kind of run away from relationships and get scared. But once you recognize that it's all about fear of connection, because connection is what saves us. Yeah. Right. I mean, that that's the irony. Yeah. We're scared of something because if we don't get it, we can't survive. Yeah. Right. So the more you can develop the courage to kind of jump into relationships and be with people and to be vulnerable. And, and like authentic. Yeah. Yeah. And that's um, what you've done. Like by writing the book and putting it out there, that's the ultimate of what you've done. Yeah, I put myself out there. I told the world who I was and asked to be seen in a way that I haven't been seen previously. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's one of the loveliest things about this book is we get to meet you. <laughs> Thanks, that's sweet. Yeah, and alongside the science, but the you in it and the human and the just everything that you've been through. Was... Thank you for that. And like, I think that, the storytelling in the book and the invulnerability does make it a lot more readable and fun. And I think too, that one of the things that I was really looking for though, was using myself so that other people can see themselves too. Yeah. And I was really proud when Ijoma Alua, who wrote the introduction to the book, she, she was a stranger to me and I just sent her the book, asked her if she'd read it and it just moved her. And I asked her to write the forward and in the, in right. And she's a black woman. She's an activist. And what she said was like in every chapter, she was able to see herself. And to me, like that just made me cry. It was like what I was shooting for in the book was to use myself to open up the possibility that other people can see themselves, that it would spark them to thinking about similar stories and I write other people's stories into the book too to help that process along. Yeah. But it was really beautiful because Ijoma had so much, so many different social identities than than I do. Yeah. And yet she saw herself so profoundly there. And that's extraordinary. So, yeah. Yeah. And so that to me was like kind of a, the marker of success, you know, yeah. like, that I'd really 
I've been able to somewhat universalize this book across our different social identities. Yeah, you do. And you also speak about so many just human things that we don't really think about, like how much avoidance we engage in, for example. <laughs> like if we're feeling ashamed about friends or things that are going on socially and how much we hide. There's so many little snippets in the book that you can relate to. About, yeah, I've done that. Yeah. Like, oh, I've done that. And <laughs> we don't really hear about stuff like this, but it's all really human. Right, right. Yeah. What was it like to come out as trans in the book? Because, you know, in your community, everybody knows you <laughs> and knows you as Lindo for a long time, but this book's just come out. What's that been like from that perspective? Well, it's a huge relief. Yeah. Because it's interesting that um, to use the word come out because I wasn't sure what to say. <laughs> no, and I'm never sure what to say either because. I don't feel like my gender identity has ever changed since birth. I think most people are much more gender fluid than I, like they're more playful about it. But my gender identity has been, been the same. So it's not like there was a coming out period or a change that happened. I think the problem is, though, that we live in this world where people just assume a gender binary. Yeah. And so everybody has tried to put me into this package that was never me. And it's except for in childhood when I really tried to be feminine because my parents, it was important to my parents. I never was woman that people saw me as. And being gender queer, like it it's not an easy box for people to put you into. People see me and they just make an assumption about who I am. And I think that shifted over the time. Physically, I definitely look a lot different now, but not not enough to always push me out of the like like what people think of in terms of gender presentation. Not enough to necessarily push me out of a category where people are making me like making the assumption I'm a woman. Like for yeah. example, people are hearing audio right now and my voice is definitely what most people attribute to. Mm-hmm woman and so on the phone everybody just misgenders me automatically but anyway having this book out I'm telling people don't do that not who I am and I'm not giving and so before it made sense to me that people would make the wrong assumption but now I'm not allowing for that anymore Mm. like I'm just out there and asserting myself so I guess that just that might feel different yeah yeah and that's what you're talking about in the book as well like not just the acts of self-love but acts of social justice and and sticking up for yourself and you know you've got many examples in the book of when you've tried to do that and make changes and that's part of body liberation right sure yeah yeah super cool so one of the really fascinating bits of the, the book from the science perspective, is when you start talking about the brain on trauma and how experiences of oppression and exclusion particularly actually impacts our brain. Can you talk a bit about that? Sure. Yeah, it's it was totally fascinating to me to learn that like when you experience rejection, that it's the same areas in your brain light up as when you experience physical pain. That wow. Yeah, that 
all of these times socially, we're excluded, we're told we're not enough, we're told there's something wrong with us, we're told we're too fat. All mm -hmm. of these things lodge in our brain. And after a while, the brain changes and adapts to this. We call this a high allostatic load when you've had repeated experiences of, I'll call it trauma or, and well, actually, why don't we call them microaggressions? And oh. you can mm -hmm. read the book to come up with distinctions there. But yeah, yeah. repeated experience of microaggressions add up to trauma in your brain. And after a while, your body comes to expect all of these things. And what that means is you're going to have a higher level of anxiety, you know, like being more fearful when you go into different circumstances because you have experience of rejection in the past mm -hmm. and people develop a hypervigilance and distrust. We, we talked about this a little yeah. bit earlier and physically your body just adapts so that these become your go-to response, you know, that kind of fear being in the world. And it also contributes to things like type two diabetes and heart disease risk, which yeah. Explains why marginalized people are much more likely to get many chronic diseases and to die earlier than people who are given more social and economic privilege in the world. That's yeah, that is so important and so overlooked. Right. And it's interesting to see how physical and biological it is. Yeah. That it's not that the individual isn't trying hard enough in the world, it's that. The world has kind of the world has been hard your, for the individual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but <sighs> we always tend to focus. I think it's more common to focus on the negative stuff. Yeah, but the amazing thing is that we always have opportunity to rewire our brain so that we don't have to be as hyper vigilant in the world and mm. distrustful. And there are plenty of strategies we can employ that are going to help our brain to be able to sit with discomfort more readily and to tolerate not knowing things and going into unfamiliar environment, et cetera. Yeah. So we have a lot of things that we can develop. And, you know, probably one of the most beautiful and most powerful is that our friendships and can um, help us to develop mm -hmm. a physical resilience that's going to make us more able to handle life when it gets hard and more happy in the world. So interesting. So connection can help. Yeah, which probably one of the most important things. And it can help you to feel more safe in the world so that you're more able to kind of venture yeah. out and take risks. So it's really important to find your people. It is. Yeah. And it's really important to learn how to do vulnerability, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like sometimes you need to be protected in the world and that makes sense because the world isn't safe. But if you can find safe places where you can truly be yourself and you can get appreciation for that and, and love for that, the more you can develop that, the more it can give you a sense of peace that's going to allow you to move more freely and happily through the world. Yeah. And it's those people... Like I'm thinking of, like you're an example of, of someone who has that connection, community, support, and with that resilience, you can write books like you've written and put them out there right. and have these conversations. 
I know. And I appreciate that. Um, yeah. I know that a lot of people couldn't put this kind of vulnerability out that it would be too threatening to them. Yeah, and, if they're not being, if they don't have a community or a connection. And, yeah. So yeah. I, I appreciate that I am so bolstered by other people that it allows me to, it protects me and allows me yeah. to do this. And I think in some sense, that's why I feel a responsibility to do the kind of work that I do because I have so much privilege. And, yeah. But um, also in your, in, in your bubble, not bubble, but in your, in your community, it's an inclusive community too, right? There's, there's attention to um, Black Lives Matter. There's, there's gender diversity. There's like, there's all of the kinds of things. Not, not, I'm not at all saying that social justice is working <laughs> over, <laughs> over where you live, but there's efforts and there's attention and there's, there's a, a sense of progression and that, that social change is important as well. Right. I mean, hey, my world would be so boring and unimaginative if everybody looked like me and acted like me. <laughs> and the way you get excitement in your life is having that kind of exposure to people in all their glorious uniqueness. Yeah. And we, we also, need to build that. And it's interesting because I wish the larger corporations would recognize how much creativity they're losing out on by only hiring mm -hmm. certain people who feel, fit a certain mold. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. Like you can recognize, like, for example, that people who are um, neurodiverse and might, that everybody sees them through a different lens that's going to allow them to have some kind of unique perspective and mm. I think that corporations would be would benefit from like having so many different perspectives to find what really works well in the world yeah you know and you, you think about if if you're not going to hire fat applicants you have so many fewer applicants to choose from you're yeah. not going to get the best people yeah you'll probably get some very hungry people if they're dying too <laughs> Yeah, but so the more we open up to um, all the different expressions of humanity, yeah. it only yeah. benefits us. It really does. And that's such a lovely way of looking at it. Like we need to be welcoming diversity in all areas, in all in all walks of life. It's a, it's a totally different way of thinking. Right. Yeah. And we do it not because it's the right thing to do, but yeah. because there's also that art we benefit. It. it's not like we're helping other people yeah but yeah it's like it's evolution too isn't it it's like if we get rid of diversity in any ecosystem like it suffers exactly yeah bring it bring yeah. in the glorious diversity and and see what can happen yeah yeah can you tell us the story because there's an awesome story that you're telling us in the book about the gym about the gym <laughs> Sure. I, you know, I haven't read the book in a while, so I'm going to have to <laughs> like remember which of many stories. But I think it was going into the gym on a day that I was feeling particularly irritable. And there was a new guy that was checking everybody in. So I do my fingerprint ID and I don't know, maybe it was a phone ID. I don't know. I don't remember. Wow. And anyway, I guess my name pops up on the screen. 
And he says something like, well, have a good workout, Ms. Bacon. And like, it just bumped yeah. me out. Like I had, I, I was going to the gym to kind of get in a better space and to be hit right away with being misgendered. It just hit me hard. And I kind of snapped at him and I don't remember what I said. And he got all defensive and said that that's what the computer told him. And he was blaming it on the computer. It's the computer. <laughs> You know, and he and and also he couldn't quite understand, like, like, like I angry. looked like a woman to him, like he didn't <laughs> understand what he had gotten wrong. And fortunately, we're we're having that dispute, and then another worker walked up and was more sensitive and mm. was able to kind of get the guy to back down and explain that you can't always know somebody's gender identity by looking at them, and that we need to oh, wow. be more open-minded. You know, and help me through it, but. But then, like, while I was working out at the gym, I was just obsessing on it. Like, I was yeah. just so angry at all, like, all of the, it, this was just one more time yeah. where it's I was It's not wasn't, the only thing. It's, a, yeah, it's a, another, like, pain. Exactly. Like, he triggered a lifetime of yeah. feeling misgendered. And it meant that I couldn't let go of that. And it kind of spun out into somewhat of an anxiety attack and anyway I learned from that right mm -hmm. and one of the ways I took back my power was by complaining at the gym and my the end result of that was that they actually changed some of their policies and that helped me to feel more empowered and respected and like the fact that people adapt and yeah that is awesome. To me. Yeah, but that is such a massive change. You've out of one panic attack. <laughs> right. That right. message of pain in your body drove you into action. Right. And another funny part of that story was that at first, just me protesting wasn't getting far enough. So I just got together a few friends and we just made up a fake organization. Like a, so we called ourselves something like Social Justice Advocacy Corps or something. Oh my God, that's and, brilliant. <laughs> and we kind of threatened a social media call out. Wow. And I think that the fear of something bigger was really what motivated them to listen. Really? Okay. So I, I think that like that's also an important statement that builds communities so that you get support around this and yes create an organization exactly <laughs> take it if you can't if you can't do it yeah well, yeah lean in like get a bit of pressure on them because um people these days will might not respond to one person but if if you are a representative of an organization or if you have right. social media and yeah. I think that more and more they're recognizing that yeah. people are angry that trans folks don't have equal yeah. rights and yeah. they're angry at racism. So it now is a liability for a corporation to be seen in that light. Mm. Isn't that cool? It's no longer cool to be exclusionary. It's yeah. 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 And it has so, to be attended to. So um, we certainly have a long, long way of change ahead. Yeah. But I think that the playing field's a little bit different now. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's strength in numbers, like you're saying, and there's an increased recognition. And isn't it incredible to think about what the world might look like in another generation with exactly. this 
you know, this kind of change, it's incredibly hopeful. Right. And I know that when I was a kid, I wasn't even able to imagine trans because I'd never seen a trans person that I was aware of. So it didn't even enter into my mind as a possibility. Mm. But that's not true of this next generation, at least the generation of kids that live in liberal areas in the United States, surrounded by that kind of imagery. And they're Inclusion. more able, yeah. like kids are more able to find their gender identity and to recognize mm. that it doesn't have to be attached to the one that was assigned to them at birth. And there's just a lot more creativity that's possible. No, exactly. I totally agree with that. I think it's going to be just this source amazing source of creativity that comes because right. if people's brains aren't always bound up with that trauma and that kind of confusion or, or trying to stick yourself in a box that doesn't fit like there's so much ability to create and evolve like just yeah there's going to be so many cool things come out of this yeah yeah thank you for a wonderful conversation where can we get the book it's here in australia now i think Oh, it is. That's exciting because I think there was a little delay getting it to Australia. Um, there Thanks, COVID. Yeah. COVID related problems. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure people can get it anywhere books are these days. Yeah. And there's an audible version? The audible version comes out on February 15th. So <sighs> not oh, out yet. Yeah. But that's yeah. not, that's only a few weeks' time. And, right. And are you reading the book? I am not, no. You're not reading the book. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> but there is a really wonderful narrator. I, I yeah. spent days and days listening to people to come up with a perfect voice. Oh, how did you come up with that? What was the perfect voice for the book? Oh, it was somewhat like I wanted someone who could radiate compassion at the oh. same time that they had passion and really could find when to use one and when to use the other cool and, um yeah there's someone that's really amazing that did it so i feel good about it oh that's so good i'm a big fan of audible lately as um reading in COVID for some reason has just gotten really hard for lots of people <laughs> i'm the same way you know oh. but i'm out going for walks a lot and yeah just listen to books this is a lovely book to listen to whilst walking i'm definitely going to do that Excellent. Enjoy. <laughs> Thank Lovely you so much. Oh, yeah. You're the best. Thanks. Well, I promised to give you an uplifting start to 2021 and there they are. You don't get much more uplifting than Dr. Lindo Bacon. Thank you so much, Lindo, for coming on and sharing your wonderful book and your vision of what we can achieve if we work together and work more on belonging and just how healing that is. Just a wonderful book, wonderful human. Go out and get it, everybody. And uh, if you want to find out more about Lindo and all of the work they're doing, head to lindobacon.com website or Instagram, lindobacon, or on Twitter at lindobaconx. Some wonderful stuff that has that is coming out from Lindo and some, you know, wonderful community work in relation to this book. So go check out the website and um, find out more there. Okay, so we've come to the end of the first podcast for 2021. I am really enjoying myself talking to you and I'm just, uh, I'm just really glad to be back. 
and I'm looking forward to our next episode, which will come out in a few weeks' time. So look after yourselves, everyone. Uh, and in the meantime, listen to your body, think critically, push back against diet culture, untrap from the crap. Thank you.